This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back. This is the Investors Roundtable number four. We made it to four each week. I can't believe it. Yeah, right. I can't. I can't believe each week we get we get to the next week. You know, we got to be thankful for that. And uh, not only did we make it to the next week, we made it to the next episode. So with that, I'm your host Robert Kraft. Uh, joining me today, so a couple familiar faces and some new blood. We got new blood on the show. New blood. New blood. New blood. There we go. So uh, real quick, we got Thomas Backrack from PFH Capital, got Kelvin Cito at Slingshot Cap on Twitter, and uh, our new blood, Jason Hirschman at 8-Track. What up, man? Hey, nice to be here. (laughs) Thank you very much for having us. It's great to have you all, man. Uh, Thank you guys for taking the time. I know, uh, hey, look, we're getting into those summer months. It's the vacation time, you know, but uh, (laughs) everywhere you can go for vacation, it's got internet, all right? So you can participate from anywhere in the world. But I digress. So uh, I don't know. How's everyone doing? Let's take a let's let's take a poll here. Let's let's start with our, our new blood, Jason. What's going on? What's what's on your mind recently? Well, I mean, everything uh, everything is is. Um, hey, I'm breathing on my own accord. That's a good thing, right? Very good. That's number one. Health is good. Everything is fine. You know, I think we spoke a few months ago about uh, business. Uh, good moments, some bad moments, but we can get into that a little bit further on too. Absolutely. Kelvin, what's going on? It's been a couple of weeks since you've been on. So uh, how's it hanging? Did you fix everything that happened last week? Yeah, man. I, I think there was uh, some of uh, some issues that come out at home. But I think uh, fix it. And I think in Singapore, it's getting a bit... I, I think this is one of the most unique years. It's been a long time uh, that we have such cool weather, you know, in the month of, I think, July. So uh, felt really good. Uh, but as you can tell, you know, I probably have ate a lot during this COVID-19 period. So gotta exercise, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it definitely, I feel that. Hard. I just started stretching actually, because I think my back was just starting to go out. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's for, I, you, we joke about millennials, right? But, uh, you know, look, even millennials have back issues. I mean, right, Tom, we got back issues. <laughs> oh, no. We do. We, we do. I got back issues. I got hip issues. Um, I got two bad hips, actually. So Jeez. I'm truly on the cusp of elderly millennials here. So, yeah, bad <laughs> things are good for me, too. Um, breathing without assistance, just like Jason, that's huge. Good. It's a big win in 2020. And, uh, and also, you know, we're talking about fitness down there, Kelvin. Like, I, I did put on the COVID-19 early, but it's coming out. You can see the neck, the neck fat's looking much better. Yeah, so right we got to so. go to this angle. That's the angle. Uh, uh, it's going to be good, dude. I'm, I'm way better prepped now than I was a couple months ago for these uh, video interviews. So it's nice. So. Yeah, well, you know, I figured the timing was good. Like, you were just starting to work out. So then that, that makes sense to then we can do this. I get it. I understand. <laughs> Investing's <laughs> hard work. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of fitness that goes along with that. There's, for a, sure, yeah, so. there's a lot of ins, lots of outs. But let's let's dig right in. You know, I, I, Jason, since you're this is your first time on here, you you sent in the uh, your topic. Um, you know about uh, thinking that since we're 50 percent done with 2020, you know uh, we've done kind of a little bit of a halftime report. But since your first time on, let's get your perspective. What what do you think about what's happening and go from there? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's been fairly remarkable, right? Just a remarkable year, as Tom Tom has noted. And what did we see? We saw like an extremely fast stock market decline, uh, an extremely fast recovery, in part aided by the record speed of you know Federal Reserve and U.S. government programs. You know, personally, I like to invest in new microcap positions the same way you're supposed to smoke a brisket, you know, low and slow, right? But this wasn't a brisket bear market. This is a flash fry bear market, you know? Uh, and Bobby, I, I bet I'm the first guest to ever compare like Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, excuse me, microcap investing to like smoking a brisket, but there you go, right? Oh, but I think I'm, you bring like your personal skills, you like personal skills to like the microcap cooking competition and not every round plays to your favor. So I only put, no, personally, I only put only half the money to work that I should have because I was thinking brisket, like a 2000 to 2002 uh, pullback or even the 2017 to 2019 drawdown. Uh, but that's okay, you know, like in the long term, I don't think it pays to strengthen like your fast twitch muscles. And I'm, I'm changing to exercise analogies now, I realize that, right? Uh, but it doesn't pay to like exercise your fast twitch muscles as opposed to your slow twitch, like endurance investing muscles. So you know, I think you know, like in the future, once again, like slow twitch muscles will again be rewarded. Uh, but I'm not sure about diversification. So I'd like to talk to you about that too. And while like concentrating invested, investing rather than diversification is probably the way to go in microcaps for at least for the next few months or few years. So I've just spoken a mouthful. So I'll pause and say just I'm looking forward to speaking more about what the heck just happened and where the heck we go. Um, and if we have a little extra time, we can talk brisket. But I, I want to hear from my other friends on the on the line. So actually, I'm going to jump right in there because I like brisket, and I really got my attention <laughs> here. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, generally speaking, I would say the Fed definitely jumped in and flash fried to brisket, and I just don't. I'm not sure it's going to taste good uh, when it's all said and done. But uh, they definitely <laughs> flash fried it, and like you know. It's it's I, I, it's probably probably not going to be uh yeah I'm a little concerned about how this brisket is going to come out but you know let's give it let's try it I guess first we're, we're letting it cool under some foil right now for an hour or two so we'll see how it comes out. Um, I think yeah, our friend so, from Asia is like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, this is no brisket idea, guys. Flash no idea. Where are they going with this? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. like Kelvin, do you do you do you make your brisket with a little bit of ketchup and barbecue sauce and then just let it you know. I, we're, Calvin, by the way, brisket is the most delicious, one of the most delicious meats of all time. We're, we're, Jason, we're making brisket for Calvin when he comes to visit. That's true. Yeah, yeah I, I got to know, here. I got to get into this, man, whatever you guys are smoking on. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, what, are, what are people smoking in the United States? That's what Kelvin's wondering these days. What's going on? <laughs> so, the, uh, well, we, yeah, we are all morbidly obese is what we're trying to tell you, Calvin. <laughs> it's, it's everything. If it can't be related back to a brisket, it's not worth talking about. That's the way we play it over here. So, yeah, it was, a little, yeah. it was a little strange that Jason tried to relate actual investing strategy to working out because what it – I mean, I don't understand. How is that – that makes no sense to me, working out. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even spell it right now. But, but anyways, Kelvin, so since it's been a couple of weeks, you know, what, what's been going on? In, uh, you know, what, what do you think about what's been happening thus far? Yeah, you know, I, I used to think a lot about, um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, I had a good investment process, but, you know, when COVID hits you, you know, where, where's your plan B, right? There's no plan B around it. And, and I think, um, you know, you know, I, you know I, I really believe that in the COVID-19 
situation environment, it really forced me to re- uh, reevaluate the businesses that, that I have, you know, that I actually want to invest with, a, I think, a set of stricter criteria. And, you know, I used to think, okay, I, I like to have businesses that are, that are like kind of like recession resilient companies, but now also companies that are anti-fragile. So what I mean is like, hey, I'm going to look at companies that are able to thrive even during COVID-19 um, environment. So what I mean by that is really goes in, going back to how the business model is being constructed, you know. Um, for example, if, you, if I look at some of the names that I used to own, for example, PaySign, right, which is a payment processor for blood donation centers. And, you know, COVID-19 or not, I think this donation still is required. They'll still come in. But another company that I own, which um, actually I allocated quite a sizable portion of my portfolio, uh, is Intelligent System Corporation. It's a payment processor uh, for um, Goldman Sachs new and uh, Goldman Sachs and Apple's latest collaboration is the Apple Card. But when times are bad, you know, no one's going to sign up for a new credit card and it affects their revenue. So it kind of got me into the mode of thinking even deeper, you know, not just a scalable model, not something that you can see a growth, a long trajectory growth rate, not just a mode. But, you know, when COVID-19 happens, I think it's quite unforgiving that a lot of demands, actually uh, consumer demand, corporate demands start to shift a lot. So I'm just going to think a bit more deeper. And, and I think that it, it, it forces me a to really think a lot deeper as well. Like, you know, I think one of the uh, uh, interview sessions, I talk about like a, a peacetime CEO and a wartime CEO. So today we are at war, you know? So like, how do CEOs really think critically, you know, even under pressure? Whereas some CEOs, you know, they do perform very well, but then when it comes to a, you know uncertain environment, they freeze up, they choke up, uh, you know, they, they, they don't perform. So that, that's the way I'm thinking right now. That's pretty interesting. I mean, look, I got to ask, you know, because... We've talked about, the, I think in the last few weeks, we've all been kind of asking this, not me because I'm an idiot, but you know, you got the experts have been asking this question. It's like, okay, it, it makes sense. Like I want to look for res, re, recession-proof businesses, recession-proof business models, you know, but at what point do you, ha- do you then overthink it? You know, at what point do you stop yourself like, okay, recession-proof, like what, what do I really mean by that? Do I then have to think about a time frame Like, what, what what goes through your brain when you start thinking to yourself, okay, what does that really mean? And then how am I now reevaluating my whole new uh, investing process with COVID-19? I mean, at what point are you like, okay, stick to my guns to, all right, let's, let's dig a little deeper and go from there. I don't know. Floors to everybody's. I have nothing to say on it because I'm, yeah, I'm the dumb dumb. I mean, I mean, I would say like, so you mentioned anti-fragile, right? Which is like, it's like, we're going to find things that like benefit from, from these, these, these periods of, of turmoil. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of, maybe I'm a little bit more on the Bobby side where it's like, you know, I'm, not, I'm not quite sm- smart enough to figure that piece out of like who's gonna like truly benefit. But, so like, I just, I'm not focused on like the, the you know, Talib like, you know, anti-fragile stuff. I'm kind of more just focused on, are they fragile? You know, I, I like not fragile. Like not fragile is good enough for me. And, and so much of that boils down to is, you know, is, is the actual business good? Like meaning like, can they reinvest at reasonable returns on capital and generate actual cash flow? Um, can they, it doesn't need to be regular. It can be a cyclical business, but like, are they, have they structured their balance sheet and their actual setup for the reality of their business? Like if you're in a cyclical industry, you shouldn't be hyper leveraged going into these things. Um, and then, yeah, it'd be just basically beyond that, like, 
I just look at the balance sheets a lot because in the end of the day, like, like it's, uh, you know, what's the, uh, is it, is it Buffett that says the comment, I'm going to paraphrase and butcher this, but it's, it's like cash. It's like, uh, you know, when you don't have it, you like desperately need it. It's like air, you know, when you don't have it, you desperately need it. But when you have it, you don't think about it, you know, and that's, he's, he, so he relates that to cash and like, so I, I think if you went into this thing with companies that generally had good balance sheets, even if you thought their business models weren't perfectly aligned for this, um, even if they were horribly aligned for this thing, like, I mean, it could have been a restaurant even, like, at least you were, you know, not selling after a 60% decline because you were like, hey, this is going to go to zero. You were like, they'll see you through. You know, I'll get an opportunity to get out of here better, potentially, so... Um, I don't, so in summary, I don't, I don't think I'm looking for the anti-fragile as much as just not fragile, you know? Yeah, I think in, in micro caps, it's, it's particularly difficult to find anti-fragile companies just because of the nature of the, of the, of the size, the nature of, you know, if, even if they have some kind of moat building it, it isn't very deep, it isn't very wide, right? So, um, I think in, in some ways, if, 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 if you're interested in anti-fragility, you, you find that perhaps in other parts of your, of your investment portfolio. And then with, with the micro cap section, you have to take a little bit, you know, hopefully low levels of fragility, right? But a whole, a whole lot of upside if things go, things go correctly. Um, so and, and the second thing that I've been thinking about is uh, in terms of, you know, let's say fragile uh, investments is the fragility around the, uh, the business model or the fragility of your balance sheet. Right, because sometimes you just have companies that, that have a good business model, but just entered in with a weaker balance sheet than they would otherwise have because they've done a recent acquisition or, or some other some other uh, uh, event that affects their balance sheet. And then the third thing I would just add is that you, you take a situation like how much planning should we really do for like COVID nineteen continuing? Right, I live in Las Vegas. Uh, I moved here in two thousand. Like uh, up until up until this year, casino the strip never closed down. Right, you could walk into a strip casino. 24 hours a day. So, and, and of course that all changed. The number of these gaming stocks really took it in the, uh, took it in the rear, excuse my language. Uh, but you know, how much should we, you know, should we avoid gaming stocks because of a COVID-19 situation? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a difficult question. Yeah. It's like, how long do you avoid some of these sectors that have been affected? Like who, yeah. how? Like how do you how, how like what kind of mental model or algorithm or things that really smart people do do you do to <laughs> to predict that? I and mean, what right. what are some of the things maybe you guys have thought about that are helping you at least in in that sense? Is there I, I mean, one of the recent kind of like a reflection that I have, you know, um, you know, sh should the companies I invest in serve a very large amount of consumers or? Or would you rather your business serve enterprises, you know, big, strong enterprises, blue chip enterprises? So those are like the talking points, like sometimes I have in my head um, regarding, um, you know, the businesses that I invest. But what are some thoughts that from you guys? What do y'all think? Well, I, I think actually one thing which, which has just been a theme that I'm sort of been starting to work on, uh, and I think it really hasn't been touched on by a lot of like micro cap investors, is that, you know, historically, uh, in a recession, microcap companies really didn't have that much access to cheap capital, right? If you needed capital in a uh, in a recession, man, you you got 
you know, you're, you're in trouble. You're paying very high rates. You're doing equity at a, at a very low price. But I think the introduction of this, this Main Street, Street lending program by the Fed uh, could be a possible game changer for companies that at least have some adjusted, positive adjusted EBITDA, but with somewhat weaker balance sheets. So I, I think that a lot of investors really haven't taken a look into that. And even though this program's just been ramped out, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to de-risk uh, some companies in the microcap space. And this was something that never existed in the past. Uh, you know, when companies can, can basically borrow at very low rates as, as a microcap, it's really quite interesting. I, I think it's, it's, it's an intriguing opportunity to look for companies that can, that can take advantage of that. Yeah, that, that's fair point. Right. yeah, it's a fair point by Jason there too. And it's, uh, what's also interesting about this is that this is a, you know, this is a short term hit. You know, we don't know how long it's going to take for unemployment to come back down, all those things, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel here. You know, people aren't going to stay cooped up forever. Hopefully we get a vaccine, you know, sooner than later, even if we don't. Um, I can guarantee, I, I feel highly confident that in two years, people are going to be back to relatively normal lives. You know, I, I don't know how long it'll take for the economy to like recover, but so if, if there's access now to microcaps for, you know, with cheap capital that just to get them through to, to bridge them over, um, you know, it could work here because this isn't necessarily long-term structure or issue. Um, also a good point about from Jason earlier on the, uh, you know, you know, the, the fragile comment, you know, it's not just the balance sheet, of course, it is the business model um, and the actual business itself. Like it's, you know, you can have a great balance sheet and it allows you business for the next five years and watch the balance sheet go to crap. Um, that's generally not a fun investment. So, um, you know, he added that in earlier. I want to give a hat tip to that comment. The, uh, uh, it's always like nice when the, uh, when the new blood gets a little <laughs> bit of praise. I appreciate yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one other thing I wanted to, to, you know, cause we, we've talked about this point, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to really look at it. And every day there's new data and new information that we can use potentially to analyze you know, like at one point, you know, things are looking rosier with, you know, Disneyland and Disney World opening up. And now it, it's closed again because Florida's a mess, yeah. you know, and California as well out here is a mess, you know. So it, it just it's interesting each week that we come on and talk about it because there's so many new things that happen that might, you know, I said this last week, but now there's new data and the things are now. And also when you see some of these earnings reports that are coming out as well, you know, and, and seeing how some of these companies are performed or what they're doing to you know, you know, I, I guess, uh, stop the bleeding. That's the, I guess that's the phrase. I don't know. What are some of the things you guys have seen on that front? I'll actually go ahead and comment on the whole Disney thing. Actually, since uh, no one jumped immediately in, uh, I actually saw a rumor today. I don't know if you guys saw this and I did zero betting of this. So, you know, take this with the largest grain of salt you can imagine, but I saw a rumor that, uh, they're talking within Disney. Now they're, they're strapped enough because this whole reopening plan is going to be tricky that they mm-hmm. might start flipping off some assets. And if you were disappointed by the recent star Wars movies, they might have to sell star Wars. So if you're a star Wars fan, that's bullish potentially. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah. <At least> something, <laughs> so, something positive to come out of this. <laughs> so something positive could come out of this. I, you know, I just think it's, um, I just kind of had no doubt in my mind that things are be back in like two years i just like at a certain point even if like this becomes just a regular thing that we have to live and deal with you know it's just 
yeah, I mean, look around ourselves right now. I mean, like, look at like what's happened in like first six months of this year, right? Like everyone basically, we, we, we've massively reduced human to human contact. Mm-hmm. When we do that, what we do is we actually increase all the virtual contact, which is to say social media, which, uh, I would argue is not a recipe for human happiness. Um, and it's, uh, I, I think we're seeing it start to result in insanity just in the general world right now. Uh, I feel like people have lost their damn minds. Um, and, and part of what we're seeing in the research, and so I think here in the U.S., is just people are showing more and more of a willingness to go out there and kind of take risk, even stupid risk, as you can see. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, so, so I, I do think this, we're in like a new normal right now. I'm not sure that it's going to be there in two years. And hopefully it's going to not be there in two years because, you know, we have a vaccine and, you know, what's going on in Oxford with AstraZeneca, you know, what, you know, what's getting developed over there works out well. But regardless, I just, I just, the current era we're in, I think is going to prove to be fleeting. So like, I think one of the interesting things to do for investment investing right now is to try to say, all right, like, who can survive another two years of this and then come back storming um, mm-hmm. and have this amazing 2022, 2023, 2024. And, but they're priced as if we're going to live in this new apocalypse forever, essentially. Um, you know, those are some of the most interesting things to me right now, because, you know, and if, if you're just willing to sit and watch it do nothing for a little while, it, that's okay. Um, so Yeah, what what I I think that's listen, you know, I think it's it's great points, Tom, and I think it's important Mm -hmm. to you know not get caught up in 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 the in the moment, right? That we're that that we're living in, right? I think uh, anecdotal, you know, when I would speak to people initially just a few months ago who lived in New York, like East Coast investors, right? Mm -hmm. They seem much more pessimistic than the the people out in the West Coast who like you know this COVID nineteen is bad, but it's not the end of the world, right? And as it sort of invades your neighborhood, then perhaps, you know, your, your mindset changes, right? You start, first of all, you're sort of filled with anger with other people who don't necessarily do the things they're supposed to do. And I think it sort of just projects into like your, your thoughts about the investment, you know, uh, sort of landscape out there. All right, what I'd like to say, actually, just to add, just to add one point, Bobby, is that, uh, you know, honestly, this, the stuff that worked, let's say, a few years ago, even, you know, quality as opposed to like, you know, let's say like value or, 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 or you know, more, more cyclical plays, in some ways has continued even this, in this COVID-19 era, right? Not just like in micro caps, but let's say even in, in large caps, right? The, the SaaS plays, uh, you know, the, the, the capital efficient, high, high return investment capital businesses have all, or many of them have done better than the, than the, uh, the more you know, traditional value plays. So in some ways, you know, the, the trends haven't changed because of COVID-19. So if you're a quality guy like myself, in some ways, I'm just playing the same game I did even before COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I just want to jump on and just add my perspective on that. I think, um, I guess there's this kind of, you know, when I speak to a lot of more American investors uh, for the last two years or so, I feel that Americans tend to be a lot more optimistic by nature. And I don't know whether it's good or bad. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, but, I mean, for me, like, you know, being an Asian um, being born and being brought up in Singapore, I think we are more like conservative. So when it comes to this whole bit, this whole COVID nineteen kind of issue, we tend to say, "Hey, you know, 
here's second wave going to come. You know, do we know whether there's a third wave, fourth wave, fourth wave, right? Are we going to get out of the tunnel? I think uh, humanity will definitely find a solution to that, but how long, right? And if it's like that, then how long are you be willing to be, you know, because when it comes to uh, investment returns, you know, are you willing to just stay like that, you know, flat for a couple of years and have like maybe not so good returns, right? That, that could be one possibility. Whereas, you know, when I look at certain companies right now, um, I'm just thinking of like, you know, uh, performing, you know, like performing a surgery is never fun. Like, especially when you're doing it on yourself, you know, you're going to think hard, going to revisit your investment TCs. But, you know, I really think that, you know, instead of waiting for some of the names to bounce back off, you know, once COVID-19 is, is resolved, you know, why not, you know, we, we take the chance to really look at the portfolio right now and to reposition yourself to that, to say that, hey, you know, even when the COVID-19 wave three, four, you know, it's still going to be fine. You know, like we've talked about companies like IntelliCheck, right? When there's a COVID-19 issue, people are just going to have more fraud identity time that's going to happen. Or, uh, you know, talk about Coro Medical, that's going to be a very relevant a product for people who want to stay at home and still receive medical care. But I think to um, Bobby's point about, you know, um, what I think we should look at, I think at least transcripts or what we've been observing, talking to a lot of CEOs, it's really, you know, looking at the CEOs and, you know, do they still think it's business as usual? Because I think that while we still have this idea that, hey, things are going to improve in the future, but the CEO should actually do something to prep the business model to become more resilient for the next, uh, you know, kind of health um, pandemic kind of issue, right? So I think one of the examples that uh, obviously... Um, so I, I own this company, it's called uh, Galaxy Gaming. And, you know, if you talk to the CEO right now, they are actually providing a digitalized uh, option for, for, for casinos. And wouldn't that be something that we, we would like, right? It's not like business as usual. And then you say that, hey, you know, we're going to wait for COVID-19 to be resolved. But what are they doing? What are they being, how are they being proactive, right? Those are the steps, I think, characteristics that we really want to look at because, when they can demonstrate such characteristics, you know, it really shows execution. It really shows that they are quite forward thinking. So I think what we really need is a management that's really forward thinking in their, in their approach and prep themselves, you know, for such, you know, uncertainty as well. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would just add that, you know, I, I think uh, this is one of the benefits, and I own Galaxy Gaming too, this is one of the benefits of, of conversing with management teams, right? Uh, you get to sort of set, you get to sense the level of creativity that they have. You get the sense, you know, how do they look at the world? How do they look at their, you know, the, the opportunities or the problems they have in their specific market? And uh, that's, that's an opportunity that you have as a, as a microcap investor that you don't have necessarily if you're investing in IBM, right? Uh, so, you know, and, and uh, it also pays dividends, not just only for microcap investing, of course, but um, a lot of these companies exist in the same world as say as, as larger firms, right? So talking to a Galaxy Gaming may help you decide whether or not to invest in scientific games or uh, AGS. Uh, so it's, it's one of the real advantages of being a microcap investor. Just, uh, just do a little plug for microcap investing there. Hey, you know, this is the general investors roundtable, but microcaps, uh, you know, look, that's our okay. bread. That's our bread and butter. With microcap investing. Don't do it. Don't hey, do that's it. our, that's our lifeblood. Let's go. No, that's fine. <laughs> Tom has some like terrible numbers about how like microcap stocks have done recently. So I want to bash microcaps for a moment there, yeah. Tom. Yeah, yeah this so. is a super, super logical, uh, great, great transition, guys. Here we go. So I'm going to dive right in here and talk about this next topic. Does that sound good, Bobby? So, 
So we are, yeah. So, so we actually, so ran some numbers. So obviously there, there was a chart making arounds on Twitter, which was, uh, um, had some flaws in it, but the general message I think, uh, was true, which is that if you kind of took the SP 500 and you looked at the top 10 companies, you looked at the top 50 companies and you worked your way all the way down, basically like each rung you go down, the smaller the company gets, and this is all in the SP 500, the worse they do. So I, so I took a, you know, yesterday I actually did a quick analysis, uh, super imperfect, the, the method, but you know, I don't think I was materially off, uh, which essentially said that, the median U.S. microcap, uh, that's a 50 to $300 million company, is down about 21% year-to-date. So that's the median microcap in the U.S. If you look at the median me mega cap, that's a company more than $200 billion, they were up 5% year-to-date. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's clearly something going on here at the, you know, where we're seeing things at the very tippy top do well and things that lower down do poorly. Right. So, I, you know, there's actually a pretty obvious explanation for it. Um, you know, so far, and the question is, is, is it sustainable and is it going to rotate back? I think, um, I, and I think the answer is this, if you look at the, the, the mega caps, the top companies in the U S they're fang stocks, you know, it's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, you know, it's literally like if you if you break it apart, if you break apart the mega mega caps in the U.S., they're like seventy percent like technology and communications, mm -hmm. like seventy percent of the market cap. That's what it is. Um, if you actually like broaden that out to what the S P five hundred or or top five hundred companies in the U.S. are, it's like half that. It's like 40 percent somewhere around there. So basically, just by virtue of owning those really large ones versus say the SP 500 as a whole, you got a certain amount of benefit because for good reason, if you're a tech company, communication company, it, you know, COVID-19 didn't affect you the same way. Um, you know, none of these mega caps include energy companies. That was a good thing. So, so they ran up, you know, and like, yeah, do I think a lot of what we've seen has been induced by fed policy and I, yeah, but like, you know, that doesn't explain the whole thing. And, and clearly there's been uh, at the tippy top, like you've seen stuff going up. Um, now, this kind of brings you back to the point I was saying earlier, though, is, you know, that can't occur forever. So like, if you bring this point up to people, people will say, yeah, like, so why would you ever invest in a smaller company? And you're like, because a lot of people are asking that question, like everyone's starting to say that. And, and it's now become so obvious that the most important thing for a business is to be prepared and right on the cusp of this new reality we live in. And, but what if this new reality that we live in isn't the new reality? What if it's like 1918 where people live in a new reality for a long time and, you know, they had a lot of the same measures where people wearing masks and weren't going out as much and were doing all these precautionary things for logical reasons because they didn't want to die. You know, but guess what? Eventually, the issue went away, and almost immediately, people dove right back in. You know, like last time I checked, the the, the twenties were was just a bunch of people doing the Charleston and partying pretty much in crowded public places. You know, and they just we just lost fifty million people worldwide to the to a flu. You know, yeah. I, I just humans are social creatures. I like I'm without a doubt 
this thing has accelerated trends that were already happening. Um, but also, as usual, I think the average person is now taking it too far and saying that things will never be the same and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm not trying to predict the timing of it, but things will come back. Like, we need energy. Like, we can't run our economy on tech stocks. Like, <laughs> you can't. Like, you need, you know, um, you know, healthcare it hasn't done as well, I, weirdly. Um, but I guess it's because a lot of healthcare stocks, frankly, are getting killed right now because um, they had, uh, you know, you know, basically, you know, people stopped going in for colonoscopies, let's put it that way. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that, you know, we need to look at what's happened, see the way that's already happened and these stocks outperforming and kind of say, okay, the market's priced in a couple years of sorrow for these sectors and triumph for these sectors. Do we think it's sustainable for this to occur forever? And, or do we think in two years, we're gonna see a rebound back the other way? And should we be starting to think about it in our investments? Because we know the market doesn't wait until it happens. So, um, you know, I would guess as the vaccine stuff continues to get closer and closer, as long as that news is good enough, doesn't need to be perfect, needs to be safe and reasonably effective, even if you're getting a lot of doses, um, I would see some of these opportunities uh, outside of tech to be interesting. Um, be kind of my summary on that. Feedback. So. Elvin, do you want to go first or would you like me to comment? Uh, I, uh, all right, uh, I, I'll go first. So actually when you talk about the new reality, kind of talked about the matrix, right? The blue pill, the red pill kind of thing, just sort of like hit in my head. But well, that was interesting. So I, I think there's uh, a few dimensions to think about it, right? Um, whether it's, it's sustainable. So, um, but one thing I think, I think we do have to admit is that if you look at those tech companies, uh, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I think they are the ones that have been driving the change a lot. And in fact, um, if you ever, I mean, if all of us come across what Microsoft CEO Satya is saying, actually is the digitalization have been compressed, right? Whatever that could have happened for the, for the next 12 months have actually happened in that those short periods of time. And, and frankly speaking, I think those earnings have actually been going rapidly. So I think in terms of the price multiples for the value that's, for the value and the growth that's going to come through for those businesses, I still feel that's at a sustainable level. But in terms of you know, when we look at the S&P 500, you know, it's really unfair that, you know, certain companies are just grabbing too much attention. But I do think it, it kind of reminds me back into the, the olden days where, uh, especially in the period right now, where there seems to be this flight to quality, menta uh, flight to quality uh, mentality. You know, especially, I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of fund managers out there, you know, they really want to have uh, liquidity right now. So I think in, in a very big way, um, you know, this whole uncertainty kind of thing kind of like got them like removing all the micro caps, right? And then kind of like jump onto the big names. And, you know, there is saying last time I remember, um, you know, sometimes I think there was the olden days when IBM was really expensive and people say, hey, you know, uh, when, you're, when your shareholders are going to look at your fund and say, hey, you know, why, why, why don't you own some IBM, right? You're going to sound really bad. But if everyone's owning IBM and you're owning IBM and you, if you fail, it's okay. Everyone is failing together. We are all reporting negative results. So you don't perform any worse than anyone else. And 
I think the way how I think those uh, indexes are being uh, structured, I do think is flawed as well because they don't look at fundamentals, but they just look at size, they look at uh, transaction, they look at uh, liquidity, right? It just because the fact that you have gotten bigger, so you got included into more indexes. And, you know, there are so many funds that actually just buy indexes and that kind of like compounds the issue, right? Whether it's a good or a bad issue. So I think um, those are some uh, perspective to that as well. And uh, yeah, maybe uh, I'll let Jason share. Oh, sure. You know, I, I think, first of all, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, if, if, you, if you study market history, right, and you look back and say at the, the Dow Jones, we have a long history of the Dow Jones, right? The Dow Jones was down in, in 39, 40, and 41. And of course, in late 41, we had the Pearl Harbor bombing, right? Uh, and you would think that, you know, with the depression and then with the war, perhaps the market should be down for the next few years, right? I mean, and, but instead the market was up for a couple of years in 42, 43, and 44. So, yeah, we do know the market looks, looks ahead and you can ask somebody if there was a, whatever the Zoom equivalent was, right, in, in early 1942, you could say, well, you know, should I invest in stocks that are good for war circumstances? I mean, this war can go on forever, right? But it didn't. Um, and so I, I do think it's important to sort of look beyond just a, a, a few years, but also to understand, uh, as, as, as Tom and, and uh, Kelvin have noted, that and so also, you know, the world is also changing. Right? This is an acceleration of certain trends that are existing or creating some, some new trends. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and you have to you know, look at your investments and see at least, do they at least not have a, uh, if they don't have a great tailwind, but at least not a headwind in their direction, right, for fundamental reasons. Um, right. yeah. So, you know, the only other thing I would say is that I, I, I'm not sure, like, you know, in, particularly in the smaller world that where I hunt sometimes like this microcaps, like this, 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 I think there's, you know, there's, I mean, microcap community has had a, a tough time really the past number of years with some, some rare exceptions. Uh, and I think, you know, I see Bob, you know, Bob there just, uh, Bobby just, you know, nodding your head. We all know it. And I think partly because, you know, diversification hasn't worked. Uh, you know, this flight to quality, if you look at the, you know, how many quality stocks are there in the microcap world? How many high return on invested capital? How many stocks with the possibility to be high return on invested capital? There's not too many, right? So diversification uh, and, and sort of value uh, has not worked, you know, in the microcap space. And I, I really don't know when it's going to turn around. In some ways, like, it'd be easier to turn around, right? It'd be easier for all of us. Um, but I'm afraid that that trend continues. We're going to start, you know, continue to see relative underperformance for microcaps, uh, even if they're not negative, uh, you know, relative underperformance. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a scary world out there for for micro caps i think even even going forward to be honest i think you've got to be very selective it's going to be it, it'll be interesting you know like let because we all know that it will it, eventually it's funny the, the point that you made about looking at historical examples i mean i was you took the words out of my mouth like I, that was going to be literally my next question like where else in history have we seen this kind of this and i'm not the expert here so that's why i was going to ask you so i'm glad you brought that up but you know i did <laughs> <laughs> but but what's an interesting point that you brought there is, you know, in microcaps, what is that, what could that potential switch be? You know, what, what will that switch be where people, is it that people feel like, okay, you know, I think the worst behind us, we can start to take more risk again. You know, is it, is it just that simple bit? Or now that we have all, you know, this new wave of retail investors, 
that are that are now actively trading and actively going in and out of stocks you know at some point will they become you know will my subscriber base go up to over a million because they saw you know and and uh, because they saw a cool video that you know maybe this one and they're like, oh, there's opportunities in microcap, really cool. Like, let's all just jump into every microcap possible. You know, like what, <laughs> what could be that switch? Hopefully it is me getting to a million subscribers, of course. We need, we need a Dave Portney is what we need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's so, he's, I mean, he's legitimately entertaining. I mean, that's the thing about it. He is, he's legitimately entertaining right now. But like, it's, it's hard to get people excited about microcaps who aren't doing some level of fundamental analysis. You know, because it, it's just not – people want stocks they can, like, talk to their, like, dentist about. And, like, you know, and, like, it doesn't work well for the microcaps. So, um, like, I, I mean, you know what I'm going to say, Bobby, like, with what's going to flip the switch is I don't think it's a micro large cap thing as much in the, as, as international. You know, I, I say this on, like, a broken record, but I, I just think that the – quality of microcaps that I first of, first of all the sheer number of microcaps that exist globally outside the US are it, there's just an enormous number um, many of them are in faster growing economies um, most of that almost the vast majority of them have lower valuations many of them have insider ownership and better balance sheets um, a lot of crappy ones out there, no doubt, just like anywhere. I mean, you look around, if you, it takes me a hundred investments to find something I want to dig into. So I'm not trying to say you can just blindly throw darts, but I, I, I see so much more opportunity outside the U S and I kind of got to a point in, as you know, in the last couple of years where I just, I don't look at U S stuff anymore. And the reason what I don't do it is. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tom, but what countries are you looking at? Uh, so, so I'm I've talked a lot about Poland here. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking at some. I love Poland, as as Bobby knows. Uh, there have been a couple. Um, pretty much, just, I might just have to move there at some point because it's getting so ridiculous. But it's. Uh, but you know, and speaking of Poland, right? Like, you know, I, I I feel like maybe I badmouth tech stocks a bit earlier. Everything I'm invested in, in Poland is tech. I like. I I mean, the business model. I get why people like the business model. It's 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 a low capital intensity intensity. It's. Uh, High ROE, lots of cash flow. Um, it's you can lock people in and make them somewhat sticky. Although I think that gets over exaggerated. Um, and you know, but but the flip side is 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 everyone everyone now agrees that 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 a good software business is high margin. Like everyone just agrees on that now, and that that like makes me a little nervous. Because, like, you know, if I'm buying a high margin business and I'm not paying too much for it, like, I have some margin of safety if the margins drop. But if I'm paying a fortune, I'm saying these margins are going to continue. And I don't see necessarily any reason why margins couldn't collapse. And I'll just give you the one example. I mean, if we see a bout of inflation at some point, which no one's pricing the risk of that in the market, like, guess what? Labor costs are going to go through the roof. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't see how software doesn't get smacked by that because their margins fall to something more realistic um, compared to other industries. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a clue what's going to happen. But like, 
I can look at the pricing and see like what's priced in. So when I look at a country like Poland, they got all these great tech companies, but they're generally speaking, there's a lot more value there. Um, so that's one place I look. Um, I'm looking in places like Egypt right now because, you know, I have so much history there that I just have to, and I'm finding cheap things there. Um, what do you, how are you buying like Polish or Egyptian stocks? I mean, you use, what's, what's, what, what brokerage do you use? Is that IB or? So that's the trick, right? So interactive brokers is uh, very easy to get access to the Polish market. So IB, you can go to yeah. Polish market, no problem. Um, you know, I've seen things in the Swedish market. I've seen things in a lot, a lot of East, you know, they have pretty good access to like uh, Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, <laughs> certain countries in Asia, but not nearly enough. Um, I'm actually in the process of, uh, working out a number of custody agreements that are getting me access to a lot more of the frontier markets. So, um, you know, a lot of which I probably shouldn't disclose on, a, on, a, uh, on this interview, but it's, it's, you have to, you can't, IB doesn't get you access to Egypt. You have to like dig around and find the right context and do the right paperwork and go, go attest a document at the Egyptian consulate sometimes. I mean, you gotta like go do weird crap, but like, that's the stuff that like makes me excited because mm -hmm. I'm like, no one else is dumb enough to do this. I'm like, I'm going to be one of like the three people looking at this market. So like I get excited about those things and they have, it, and like I said, like actually a lot of the companies that look at there are tech because tech companies are great. It's just how great are they? Are they so much greater than the rest of the market that the top, you know, you know, 50 companies in like the country should all, you know, 70% of them should be like Netflix or Facebook or whatever. It just, it just something seems slightly off about that to me. It feels like, like, I don't know. I, I get it. They say software is eating the world. Like, is it? I mean, like I, there's still so many dollars I need to spend every month when I open up my wallet, like that are not related to these companies. In fact, Twitter, which I love, I have yet to spend a dollar towards, you know, and their market cap is through the roof. So, um, like, I don't know. Yeah, answer a question, countries like, um, I, I love, love Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, uh, some of the Middle East, um, gonna start looking more at the African countries. Um, I have a couple investments. You can you can access some of those markets through Canadian listed companies. Right. Um, Maybe if I could just 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 pause you right there, uh, Tom, because I like to just you know comment on, on a few things you just you just said. Um, yeah. That I think I think you are on the on the cusp of, of a trend that, that has occurred over the past few years, but perhaps it's now accelerating, right? Because a lot of uh, sort of you know uh, a little more adventurous investors, people who invest in micro caps, right? Maybe at first we were looking at U.S. microcaps, right? And then we went over the border to Canada, and now we're a little bit in in, uh, in jolly old England, right? And perhaps a little bit in Australia. First, hitting those English-speaking countries, right? But uh, you know, the 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 value for you know seems to be in, in even in other countries like Poland or in some some of the Nordic uh, nations. And because of like platforms like interactive brokers, perhaps you know people doing a little extra work. It's, it's a lot easier than it was like 20 years ago, right? To, uh, right. I mean, it's, ironically enough, it's tougher to buy, tougher now to buy microcap stocks in the United States than 20 years ago, but so much easier to buy certain stocks in other countries, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, you know Bobby asked, like, so wait, what is going to turn around? What is, what's going to make people come back to this place? And 
well, maybe, you know, successes like GAN, which, which I own some shares, right? People saying, here's, here's an interesting business, uh, you know, on the, uh, in the AIM in, in the UK, and then boom, you know, you buy it then, and then it gets uplisted on NASDAQ and it, it explodes, right? So people see, you know, and then success begets success, and success, you know, begets, you know, imitation, right? So people start saying, well, where's, where's the next stock that's going to be listed coming to the NASDAQ? Where's the, ex the next country I should invest in that hasn't been, you know, let's say uh, mine, kind of like Canada. Canada's basically been uh, looked over up and down now. So I think in, in some ways, um, people are, are, the seeds of, of future microcap success have already been planted. I'm already starting to see that a little bit there. I see you said. Yeah, and I I my, my assistant just came in here. So yeah. this is, uh, yeah, she knows how to get the door open, unfortunately, the office. So yeah, this is, is my only analyst actually right now. So, <laughs> but, no, no, so, and, and actually, I mean, by the way, you got to stand up for a second because you have a, a second, you got a junior analyst, you have an intern. It's called your blue pants. You showed them off to us uh, previously there. You can see that that's, uh, that's worth at least 300 bips of, of outperformance a year. I married into a very waspy family, so like I had to change my shirt, my short colors when I did that. It was uh, it was part of part of the wedding vows. Yeah, no, we um. <laughs> so anyway, guys, yeah. So I uh, so no, no. What, what I would say, <laughs> so, so we're sorry, talking about I, I we're showing off our our our, uh, our cabooses. That's what we're doing here today. And I I probably just offended at least fifty percent of Bobby's like actual market out there. So I apologize. I want to just get right in front of that one. I apologize to all the wasp out there. So, but but anyway, like I, yeah, no, you're talking about like what you said is actually like one of the things I think is going to happen. You know, you look at a company like Live Chat. I'm long. You know, they're in Poland. Um, at some point, like, yeah, like, I imagine they're going to relist, if not in the U.S., which probably I would think maybe that would be where it would be, maybe be the U.K. I don't really see any reason why they wouldn't just shoot right to the U.S. market. I think if that company shoots to the U.S. market and we mark them up to, like, they're comparable, like, what are they, they're 10-bagger, you know, 15-bagger at that point, like, I'm not counting on that at all. That's not remotely part of my thesis, but you know, like give them, you want to give them like a Zendesk valuation. I mean, like they're valued, what, 400 million. Zendesk is like 9 billion. I'd buy live chat. You offer me for them for the same price. I take live chat because they actually make money. And like, and you know, so, so you'll see some of that. There's another company um, that I'm in. Uh, I'll leave the name off for now. They're uh, they're a pharmaceutical business. They're in uh, Brussels. And uh, their entire market is going to be in the U.S. They're, they're coming in with a product that has zero competition. So, yeah, I found them because I was talking to a bunch of sales reps who were all like, I was looking at one thing and they were like, yeah, that's okay. It's kind of sucks. You should look at this, you know? And like, so like I talked to multiple sales reps who were like, yeah, I was trying to get a job with them. Like I couldn't make their cut. They got all the good people because of drug sales and stuff. So I, I was like, oh, yeah, crap, I'll look at that. So I was in Brussels, I got excited because I was like, hey, well, these guys are there almost by a historical artifact. Like, with, as they roll out, they're going to relist in the U.S. I have almost no doubt in my mind. And that becomes part of the thesis. So you look for the microcaps over there and bring them here. And maybe they're not even microcaps anymore by the time they're here. But, hey, that, um, that, seems to be, that seems to be part of the, and I, I want to get Kelvin uh, involved too, because Kelvin has a very interesting perspective because he actually brought a, a number of, 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 of investors and potential investors from his own country to do a tour in the United States. So in some ways it's the reverse.
he brought people who were from the more frontier or from other countries and actually to the U.S. So I'd really like to get his perspective on this. I will say that we, you know, we've seen a number of these winners move to the U.S., right? The Gans of the World, which, which I own, uh, or, or say Expel, which was listed up in Canada and mm. got listed on NASDAQ and really, you know, it's priced another stock that I own. It's a very interesting uh, approach to find these companies because you, you have a built-in uh, a built-in accelerant, right? You know, a built-in, you know, which is, you know, uplist in the United States and access all those American investors who aren't willing to go abroad. But Kelvin, really, I like your perspective because you know, we met in Las Vegas. You have brought a number of your friends over here to actually to, to, you know, to see the United States and all of its, all of its pre-COVID-19 glory. So maybe That's you have a different... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so Tom, I just want to mention that I, I feel that you're actually an adventurer, right? You're very innovative because, uh, uh, you know, I, I, maybe it's just my own experience. When I speak to a lot of Americans, you know, you tell them, hey, you want to invest in anything outside America, they say, oh, no, no, no. You know, this is, they have this very, uh, uh, you know, they just don't feel comfortable with that, right? Like anything that I can't see, I, I will not invest. And that was precisely the reason for a lot of Singaporeans to get stuck in the companies that we have in Singapore, which I can tell you, after I've been investing a long, long time in Singapore, we don't really have a lot of good stuff over here. So don't have to bother opening a cow, okay? Um, <laughs> I don't know yeah. whether to take you at your word or you're just trying to misdirect us. I mean, well, there's a lot of great companies over there, but I'll, I'll take you. I think this is a contrarian move. Yes, right yes, yes. He's got, this whole, he's got this whole Singapore portfolio right now. He's like, nah, nah, it's not that good. We're like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. not that good. How not good is it? Yeah, but you know, I, I think I just want to mention, uh, you, know, what, you know, when we talk about those countries, I, I thought that was very interesting uh, because uh, recently, I think I have, I have this friend that actually um, um, have lived in Israel for a long time and he had been telling me that, you know, in Israel, if you look at the number of people who are actually investors, it's actually very low. Uh, likewise, if you look at Australia, right, I think, I think a lot of people are just property investors instead of, um, you know, like in stocks investors. So, and sometimes, you know, I, I'm actually looking at one company right now in Israel, um, you know, so I'm, a, I'm adventurous as well, right? So that actually kind of, uh, and, I, and I agree with you because if you look at certain countries, like the company that, that you know, uh, in Israel, for example, they actually operate the national infrastructure for the credit card clearing. And they're actually the ATM certificate switch, right? So any transaction that goes in within the country, they just take a small cut. And Visa and Master tried to do that, you know, compete with them, but they couldn't. So Visa and Master ended up taking 10% stake in the company each. And the company just below 100 million market cap, right? Um, you talk about UK as well. Um, I think there's a lot of SaaS companies in, in US. Definitely it's a bit uh, more elevated in terms of the valuation. But if you look at UK, I think it's, it's quite reasonable. But I actually do think it's a lot of, uh, price discovery, right? Because investors down there, they may not be as hardworking as people in America. I think in America, um, you know, I just want to give you guys credit. You guys work really hard. You guys, you know, <laughs> a lot of things. You guys harass CEOs, you know, <laughs> not really, right? But you guys actually work really hard <laughs> information, right? Um, but when I speak to a lot of friends, I think um, globally, they don't do the work that we do here. Maybe I've not met the real deal, right? But uh, a lot of people, they don't do the work. They just look at financials, they just buy. There isn't really a lot of financial education uh, over there. But I do think that there's one big risk when it comes to investing in those frontier markets is that, you know, um, you know, I always find it very 
uh, comforting if I have like a couple of friends, locals, you know, who can actually tell me, um, you know, the contacts over there because I think there are some hidden risks that we do not see, you know, um, you know, like from my perspective is that when I invest in certain countries, like say we talk about in Malaysia, right? In Malaysia, we have certain uh, good companies, but I think a lot of them are unfortunately tied to uh, political parties, right? So when political parties change, um, you know, in some Asian countries that, you know, I don't want to name which countries, but there are a lot of corruption. It's all linked to certain political parties. And if they change, you know, that, that goes, you know, a lot of fortunes will, will be changed, you know? So just one example. So I, I do think uh, uh, law is very interesting, but I think there are some hidden risks as well. Uh, and I think to the point, um, I've seen certain companies from Australia. Uh, actually, Australia is just a very uh, nice, I think, uh, country that's a lot of health uh, innovation, you know, that's going on. And some of them actually have dual listing in Australia, uh, in US as well. So I thought that was very interesting. But one thing that I, I always caution myself is that I got to know someone that is, is local down there because, uh, you know, you just want to know that things are really proper. And, you know, sometimes when you, okay, because for example, uh, there's this one company I was investing in US and uh, it's, it's a company that actually is from Israel. So I, I invested in it. I thought things were okay. I did my due diligence, stuff like that. Then when I spoke to one person who is from Israel, he says that the CEO has actually a very sketchy uh, background, you know, and it's very well known in, 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 you know, the Israel business community. And that really got me a shock, right? So, I mean, those are just some of my perspective to that. I think that's such a wonderful point, by the way. Uh, I call it, it's part of my investment checklist. I call it the gringo check is basically <laughs> like, I try to, I try to like, it's really, really, really good idea to find an investor or two who lives in the country. So you move, the, you move to this country, you spend some time on it, you learn a ton about it, you meet people, you interact with other investors there because it's crazy. A, it's always valuable meeting new investors, especially globally. But two, like they'll they'll be like, like you'll you'll throw an idea out you're super excited about, and they'll be like they'll be like you got no idea what you're talking about. Like here's here's the problem with that, and they can they can cut you off at the pass, and sometimes they're like, oh yeah, no, that's pretty good, and you're like, okay, I can continue down this track. Um, and then of course you always got to talk to management, and some of these countries it's really easy to get the management on the phone, and they're they're great, and then other ones they don't want a piece of you and. You just need to move on to something else because you don't want to be fighting with management in a foreign country. So, but but I I I think those really unique opportunities are where you know I think if you look at some of the companies in Israel, um, I think they are really very innovative. Um, uh, some tech companies are very innovative, and and a, the crucial issue for them, I think, um, their annual reports are everything in 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 Hebrew, right? So who's gonna like gonna dig up stuff? It's gonna be really really hard. So uh, and I think that's where things get changed when they realize, hey, you know, there are some investors in the United States who are really interested in what they are doing. They do a, a PR, first PR in English. They put out investor sites in English. Suddenly, everyone gets to understand what their business is, right? And, you know, sometimes they may not even need to, I mean, they will be probably growth companies, but, you know, without any growth in earnings, just a, a multiple reversion to what they could mean, you know, if they list in US, I think could provide excellent superior results as well. And by the way, um, just to add on to that, what's amazing is Google Translate is the most phenomenally perfect thing ever. You can literally take the document, you can throw it right up there, spits it back. And if, if, it's, a, if it's literally such a nasty scan that Google can't handle it, which I've dealt with, they're, they're, like, there are companies that pay almost nothing to send you translated versions of these things. And 
that's actually an exciting thing too is mm -hmm. like you know jason going back to like the whole it's not just about getting a company that's like you're going to like relist over to the u.s how about a company that doesn't have a good presentation in english you know mm -hmm. you get it translated you take a look you do the work you talk to like the head you like invest in i got one of them that meets this bill right now and like and heck it's like you know that's some point they keep growing they're gonna they're gonna hire an IR firm and they yeah. put out some nice english materials you know and and really no honestly i think pe people don't want to deal with it if it's in a different language it, you know I, even though it's pretty easy a lot of, yeah. uh you know and perhaps this is you know, one of the, the changes that's going to occur because of COVID 19 right we're 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 and this is an opportunity bobby for you to plug any uh your, your upcoming conference Right, but we're having a lot more virtual conferences than we uh, obviously that we did a couple of years ago. Right, so this opens over time. This will open up the door to companies from all over the world, really, to to, to try and reach out to uh, uh, American investors uh, who can actually buy their stocks even if they don't have an American listing. Right, so I, I think there's there's a, that's one of the positive things that perhaps is, you know for people in investors like us are going to get out of this uh we're going to see many more um many more people uh, just uh, many more companies uh, you know chatting online than we, than we ever had before i gotta tell you that's kind of been my main thing actually i was really inspired mostly by tom as when when i first interviewed tom he was the first one that changed my head of like you know with the dual listing and all that and you know that's interesting and yeah okay makes things a little easier of course to go and get some exposure to some of these um uh, form, uh, foreign domiciled companies but at mm -hmm. the end of the day you just do a little bit of extra work or you you go and move your stuff to the right uh discount brokerage i mean that's the whole reason that we're actually host one of the panels at the event is an asx listed stocks that have operations in the u.s you know because a lot of u.s companies are also now looking abroad to then go and uh and list because it's i mean the infrastructure in the U.S. can sometimes be pretty damn expensive, whereas the, if they're a smaller company, the venture markets and I mean, the TSX has done phenomenally with this. The ASX is, is coming up in the game. I mean, it's pretty damn interesting to see what some of these other foreign exchanges are offering to growth, you know, newer, smaller companies. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I predicted, I mean, maybe, you know. I don't know whether it be two years, three years, or four years from now, but eventually someone's going to have a conference where it's just purely international companies, like purely these like companies which aren't even like hardly listed in the United States, right? And then honestly, I think that would be the most profit potential making uh, conference of all time because let's pressure Bobby a bit. Let's pressure him. <laughs> just trying to, trying to, like trying to punch the screen <laughs> there. <laughs> I need your I need your help with idea generation. I don't even know where to start with looking for quality Polish. I know it's like you know it's like uh, <laughs> yeah, Tom, yeah, Tom. <laughs> yeah, Tom, give me, this, of, <laughs> give me a list of give me a list of party conversation. This business idea is sick. Let's take this offline. Yeah, I'm cut, 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 cut. <laughs> no, 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 no. Got, no, this is a terrible idea, guys. You know, don't worry. It's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, okay. terrible idea. We're gonna stop here. You know, like these, you know, yeah. these countries are flaming dumpster fires. Yeah, dumpster fires. Terrible well, businesses. Yeah, oh, a terrible right. idea. No, no one should really. <laughs> but uh hey real quick hey real quick before i let everybody go you know i wanted to hit on one of the topics that that kelvin uh sent in and real yep. quick i wanted to adjust it a little bit in because he asked about 
you know, learning from each other's investing successes and mistakes. And I feel like we could do one whole show just on, on trading off stories. In fact, I might have something very cool coming up in that regard, but I digress. Um, but I figured what would be kind of interesting to hear from everybody is maybe a couple lessons you've learned since COVID hit, you know, from, from, uh, I guess, from your own thesis, you know, what, what are some of the things that you learned mistakes or, and, or, Hey, you know what? I made this little adjustment. It actually helped me out. You know, anybody floor is yours. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'll start uh, really uh, on, a, on a very quick note. Um, I think the lessons I learned is uh, you, you got to be very nimble. I think, um, I think that's really important. And I think um, a lot of times, uh, you know, despite whatever investment books we have read, you know, uh, whatever research we have done, I think what is really important is that um, you, you got to really surround yourself with really good investors, you know, you know, like you, you talk to people on a regular basis and you cannot just invest based on your own, own view, right? Uh, really get a different perspective to that. So I tend to bounce off ideas with a lot of investors and during COVID-19 period, I think that was uh, extremely crucial uh, because sometimes you know, you feel like you're, you're, you're not analyzing this emotionally, but, you know, there could be some things that you, people could point out for, you know, for you. So I think that was important. And I think one of the lessons as well, um, I think how I've grown my wealth uh, over time is uh, really holding concentrated positions that, that have really worked, worked well for me. But I think for COVID-19 period, um, does that change the way how I invest? I, I think no, but I think what I'm going to focus a lot more is really, um, you know, I, so I'm the guy that is scared to lose, right? Because maybe it's just the way how my portfolio is being constructed. So um, actually a big chunk of my uh, portfolio have been switched to one of the companies that is actually in the backyard. So Singapore, we do have some good companies, <laughs> right? Uh, one of them, uh, not listed in Singapore Stock Exchange, but listed in United States. So that's uh, C Group, right? So they own... Um, Asia Pacific's uh, number one e-commerce website. Um, their game Free Free Fire is the most downloaded game last year, 2019. So uh, yeah, I switched to that, and I think um, COVID or not or not, right? I think they will still continue to benefit because of e-commerce. That's actually, if you look at successful cases like Amazon, it's not hard to imagine that you know one of their segment e-commerce segment Shopee would do well. So um, I started to really um, you know focus on those ideas a lot and really focus on building a lot of network of investors. So because sometimes, um, you know, however much we work, I think we may not have like all the full picture, right? So sometimes you may have missed out on things. So I really find it's very beneficial to, you know, kind of talk to people. So a lot of my time right now, just really doing a lot of work and, and you know, just kind of speaking to a lot of people and getting to know people. I think that's, that's really interesting. You know, you just want to have different perspectives as well. Well, I, I think I'll, I'll I, have, I have two points, and probably the first point is a little bit a little bit more serious than the second point. Uh, the first point, what I've I've learned is that you know when I came in, when the COVID nineteen uh, situation occurred, um, and it started hitting the United States, I was really just focused, perhaps too much on like the headwinds to to all the companies that I owned, right? Looking for the you know where things can go wrong, right? Where, you know, where this stock that I only have in my portfolio, where is it vulnerable? And I didn't focus enough attention, let's say, usually on some of the smaller smaller positions, like which ones would really benefit from the tailwinds that, that, that were being created. Uh, you know, like you know, situations like, uh, like, uh, like GAN, that I really should have put a little bit more, you know, the pedal to the metal on it. And of course, I think that in some ways it's not like GAN 
again, I own, has done better than what most people would have even thought. Um, but you know, there, there are clear winners that come from people you know, staying at home for, for, uh, for months, for a month, uh, a month or so. So I wish I, I spent a little bit more time just thinking about the uh, tailwinds. And the, the other thing which I've, I've just, just learned now is that I, I really need a blue pair of pants. I don't have a blue pair of pants. They, they come close to your pair of pants, Tom. So uh, I think I got to pick one of those up right after this call is over. <laughs> blue pair gonna, of pants. <laughs> I have this exact model of pants in like every color too is the thing too. So don't just, don't just constrict yourself to blue. You got to like really look. I got pink. I got different shades of blue. These are, uh, they're good. So, so yeah, we've learned that we've got to look, invest all over the world and we've got to have different shades of pants. Oh, that's, that's what we've learned today. I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to do a bit of business for you here, Bobby. Actually, these are Pumas and like Puma golf shorts. And man, they're good. They are so comfortable. They're so great. You know, they look you like know. one of those, they look like those hybrid like board short shorts also that you could wear. You know what I mean? Like they look very comfortable. I'm going to have to get a pair. Yeah, no, these are my longer ones that, you know, I could like wear out in public. And then I got, uh, I got a pair of chubbies, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen those shorts. You could Google that. They're a little bit more revealing, so uh, so you know, I'd be happy I didn't wear those to the podcast today because uh, that would have been risky. So, so I guess what am I supposed to say? The lessons I've learned now. It's, a, <laughs> it's just Bobby's nodding. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. God, I don't know. I mean, mainly I think I learned that if you cancel sports and send everyone a check, people go crazy in the markets. I think that's been a big piece of it. I wish I, I wish I just bought the crap out of tesla instead of you know holding puts like an idiot so i um yeah like you know i i can't say there's been like a massively deep lesson that i've like learned from it um it's been you know i kind of you know because like i was already pretty conservative i had a lot of uh you know i already had a lot of stocks that were you know essentially strong balance sheet type businesses you know, some of them did well, some of them still fell a bunch on paper, but yeah, I didn't feel like I was losing sleep or anything during this, which, um, so I, you know, it reinforced that maybe even more strongly in my mind that, that, you know, if you're going to own something that's like, you know, fragile, you know, whether that's questions about the business model, which are maybe more less likely to own, or maybe say a bit too leveraged, you got to be really high conviction on it and you got to be prepared for that thing to go to zero. Um, it, Cause if I had had more of that in my portfolio, I, I think it would have been, would have been tricky because like you're, you're having, you know, as Jason said earlier, everything happens so fast, you know? And it was like, I think we all thought we'd get a little bit more time to uh, build up and acquire positions. I was able to buy a lot of stuff I liked, but you know, you never get quite as much as you want. Um, and, but like, I didn't feel like I had to spend a lot of time digging into my current positions and making sure that I didn't need to, you know, you know, fire sale um, during, during the peak decline. And that, that enabled me to focus a bit more on what do I want to add rather than what do I want to subtract? Um, I'm not sure it was like a, totally new lesson as much as it's, I have new appreciation for it. The only other thing I learned is that if my kids aren't in school in the fall, I am fleeing to Mexico and you will never see me again. So, <laughs> cause having, having kids at home during the day, like 
for months on end. I mean, my kids were in Zoom meetings. They were in like five Zoom meetings a day. Oh. It was a, uh, it made for a tricky work day some days. So like I am, uh, I am a hundred percent. I don't care what it, what happens. That is what I've learned. Never again, you know, will I be caged with my kids for three months in a row. So hopefully they didn't hear that in the next room. Don't worry. They're gonna they're gonna find this video like ten years from now. Like, thanks, Dad. I really appreciate that. You know, we're not we're not. You're going into an uh, into an old person's home. They're, they're not even gonna make it five minutes. And nurse, even if they like investing, nurse, me, look at this nerd. And they shut it off. So that's the good news. <laughs> so they won't even make it to this yeah, part. Hour, this hour fifteen, and they're like, yeah, no, you had us. At, we were done. At, we were done at minute two. Their friends will see it and use it to make fun of them. So you know, <laughs> so that'll be good. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we're there. So let's uh, everybody give uh, the audience where they can go and uh, uh, find, follow you, you know, your website, your Twitter account, you know, the whole deal. So, uh, Kelvin, we'll start with you. All right. So uh, you can follow me at uh, Slingshot Cat on Twitter. Yeah. Jason? You can follow me at uh, HVAC with an E I G H T track 18 uh, on Twitter. A 180, actually. A track 180. It's one of the one of the A tracks. <laughs> <laughs> just just follow all the A tracks, and you know yeah, one of them's gonna have super witty commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the one A track with all the witty commentary on microcap stocks. There's there's only one. Yeah. I, so yeah, I guess that's me now. Yeah. So I'm uh, Twitter PFH Cap. Uh, P is in Paul. F is in Frank. H is in Henry. Cap. Not wait. That's not even right. God, I'm wrong too. PFH Capital is the Twitter. So PFH Capital, Paul, Frank, Henry, pfhcap.com is the website. Uh, but I have very little up there that's useful to you. So don't do it unless you want to reach out. So, Which is code for please follow me as many of you as possible. Yes. And if <laughs> yeah. you're someone who's listening in Poland or Egypt, please reach out to one of us. We, we probably want to talk about stocks in your, your particular market. Yes, please. We all we need boots on the ground all over the world now, okay? All please. over the world. Let's go. Yeah. All right, you guys. You are in my wheelhouse if you're in those countries, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining. This is a lot of fun. And uh, let's. who knows? We may see one or more of you next week. All right? Mm -hmm. Have a good weekend. Thank you, Robot. Thank you.